Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You have tuned into the Rebel News live stream on this, a Tuesday, warning. July 27th. I hear that warning in the back of my ear. <laughs> I guess we haven't warned you enough, but in any event, it is Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. Welcome aboard. I am David Menzies and my co-host, oh, my co-host. You know what? It's raining cats and dogs right now here in Hogtown, but she is always the bluebird of happiness. She is the she-devil with a sword, the Khaleesi of Northern July Alberta. 27th. She is Sheila Gunn-Reed. How are you doing, Sheila? David, I'm doing great. I think we have all kinds of technical difficulties. I'm a little bit late. Um, because I was in court all morning. I sort of ran down the stairs. I'm really not even ready for work. I, my hair's not done. I couldn't find my glasses. Um, I only have one slipper on, and I'm not even lying. I blew a slipper <laughs> running down the stairs so that I could get down here, and my Skype feed is frozen, but yeah, the show must go on, and I couldn't be happier to be sitting here for the next hour with you. Well, Sheila... Don't fret about your hair. That is the wild yet controlled look. You know, they would charge you 300 bucks at a Yorkville hair salon for that look. So there you go. You're just ahead of the curve with that. Either that or you're driving with the windows open again. I always do, David. I always do. You know, I just go for the oh natural look. Should I tell everybody what we're doing here? Yeah. Um, before we get too, too far off the rails. Okay. Um, I, and again, Justin, I everything's frozen on my side. So I think that might be a me problem, not a you problem. But um, what we're doing here is this every single day of, I guess, the five work days a week. So we are rebels, so we don't really take a day off. The news happens and we have to be there. But for the five regular work days of the week, we host a live stream. Um, it's for an hour at noon. Uh, in Toronto, 10 a.m. out here in Alberta, 9 a.m. in uh, Vancouver. And we used to just host the live stream on YouTube. That was the only platform that we were really occupying. And uh, that's because YouTube, in its inception, seemed to be a place where you could talk about things that you couldn't talk about on terrestrial TV. But then YouTube, despite its... Um, early protestations that it wasn't evil actually was evil Methinks the lady doth protest too much as they say when, when they're out there saying don't be evil it's you know it's like justin trudeau when he says he's a feminist you're like eh, i think you're protesting a little too much but anyway youtube um we we took to youtube for an hour every day because it was a good place to uh, for uh, david and i to talk to each other for Ezra to get all those things off his chest that he probably just interrupts other people in the office when they're working to say it was it's a good way for us to um, talk about the news of the day in an unscripted way because the news was changing all the time. And initially it was a great way for us to make a little money because YouTube used to allow us to receive something called a super chat. You could leave us a question, a query or a comment um, and donate a little money to us and we would answer your question on air. But YouTube completely demonetized us um, for complaining actually about YouTube censorship like without a little bit of self-awareness, YouTube, come on. So now we're more like Johnny Appleseed. We're sort of sprinkling our content on all the other platforms all across the internet. And uh, those are still places where you can interact with each other. Those are still places where you can interact with us. And on two of three of those platforms, you can also support us. So we're on Rumble, great free speech platform. Um, it's sort of, 
in its early stages, but we like it and uh, they don't care what our politics are. And I think that's the most important part. Over on Super U, same thing, great free speech platform. You can support the work that we do on Super U by leaving us a tip and you can talk back and forth with a Super U shout. And over on Odyssey, there are a couple different ways to support us there. You can tip us as a creator, um, but you can also leave us a uh, hyper chat by, and again, in two different ways. You can buy their library cryptocurrency and donate a little bit of that cryptocurrency to us, but you can also donate to us uh, using regular old fiat currency if you're like me and you still, you know you need to understand cryptocurrency because it might be the thing of the future, but you're not there yet. Um, you can donate to us in regular old fiat currency. So there are still ways that you can support the work that we do completely of your own free will, um, even though YouTube tried to strangle us um, and also cut us off from our 1.5 million YouTube subscribers. Mm. Sheila, you're amazing. I don't know how you remember all that cryptocurrency uh, stuff. I don't um, know. I don't <laughs> know. Much less understand <laughs> it. And uh, you, by the way, you mentioned a name there that I haven't heard since my childhood. Uh, that would be back when, oh, a 1969 Camaro was a new car. Um, and that is Johnny Appleseed. How did that story end, by the way? I can't remember. I don't know. He, that's why I think that's why there's apple seeds all or apple trees all over the United States. Johnny was just out there sprinkling, right? Is that how it works? It doesn't have him being, uh, you know, eaten by a giant or something like that. Or is that that's probably Jack and the Beanstalk. But anyways, uh, I, I thought you could uh, educate me on that because you uh, know what, David. The only reason <laughs> I remember the Johnny Appleseed name so much is that when my kids were little, they used to sing grace like before they ate yeah. and there's a johnny appleseed little like little kids song that they sing for grace before they eat so that's the only reason i really remember it yeah but that's the thing the only thing i remember about that story is what you just said he's walking around tossing apple seeds behind it did anything grow i mean did anything come of this or maybe this that's the whole story <laughs> like that's it maybe we don't have a good resolution maybe that's just it he yeah, I mean, spread if, apple seeds. If Johnny Appleseed was a loser that had a non-green thumb, I mean, we don't we don't adopt him as our mascot, do we? But we wouldn't know about him <laughs> if he was a loser with a bad thumb. Okay. Well, listen. There's another name in the news, and of course, that is Pastor Art. What? Oh, I was going to say, is it you? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, but we'll Please. talk about Pastor Art. It's fine. Um, and, <laughs> and of course. Pastor Art, Sheila, uh, well, well, um, before we throw to a video, what, what indeed is the, uh, the latest uh, for this uh, Calgary pastor? So I was in court this morning. Today was the sanctions. Um, we were supposed to find out exactly how much time Pastor Art would get for breaking the court order that he was found guilty of in a prior hearing. That, that court order is from May 6th, and that's the court order that prevented all forms of illegal public gatherings. So, and that's the Orwellian term the government used to uh, describe church services, protests against the lockdown, uh, family dinners, if they exceeded uh, the 10%, if you were, or 10 people, if you were eating outside, like it was just really crazy. And it was designed specifically really to stop Chris Scott of the Whistle Stop mm. from holding a 1500 person protest against the 
seizure of his property, his gas station, convenience store, um, restaurant, and campground that he owns there in Mirror. I mean, really, he literally owns half the businesses in Mirror because Mirror is only 500 people. Wow. Right? So to, to, for, to seize that, you really seized something important to the community. So that was the May 6th Judge Rook order, Justice Rook order. It was obtained in secret, as they say, ex parte. So none of the lawyers involved were allowed to participate. AHS just went and got it, AHS being Alberta Health Services. And they knew that Chris Scott has had a lawyer at the time, but they didn't include Chad Williamson. The only time Chad Williamson ever heard about that court order being obtained was after they obtained it at, you know, in the evening, they sent him the court order and said, oh, by the way, we got this against your client. Make sure he doesn't uh, hold a protest or he's going to go straight to jail. Chris Scott spent three days in jail for that, by the way. Um, in jail. Now, they also in jail now they where there are coronavirus outbreaks and that came up in court today so they also used that order to go around arresting pastors they arrested pastor tim stevens on it and they also arrested uh, tim stevens twice actually in front of his kids and they arrested pastor art poloski and his brother and we've all seen that like swat style takedown on a wet calgary highway now the poloski brothers were found in contempt of that order. So they were found guilty of breaching that order. Um, and so today was supposed to be the sanction hearings and or the where they determined sanctions. But as it turns out, Alberta Health Services is slowly trickling in their evidence. Um, I don't know why, but they're and it's you could tell our lawyer, Sarah Miller, was like, this is ridiculous. How do I prepare if you're giving me evidence just a couple of days before? And then we have court right after. How do I even, when do I get to examine your, the people who are filing these affidavits? When do I even get to look at the information? You just want me to walk into court unprepared. So that court is was ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And she tried to have a date set that was basically a close of evidence. Like you cannot give me any more stuff after this date because I can't prepare down the road. And you could tell she's getting frustrated. The judge is getting kind of frustrated with things getting kicked down the road. But the most important thing here is that the province of Alberta is asking for. Now, remember, these two men have already been arrested and held for two days in jail for opening their church. That's how ridiculous this is. But secondarily now, because they were found in contempt of that original court order, the province wants three weeks in jail 21 days in jail that's to put that into context the guy who punched me in the face at the women's march didn't see the inside of a jail cell not even once not even when he was processed nothing nothing uh he was convicted of that he got a he got a discharge after he kept the peace and was of good behavior. So now, you know, like he's got no criminal record. These two men for the crime of opening a church to willing congregants, nobody's a victim here. The only victim here is the province because nobody listened to their stupid rules. They want three weeks in jail from these men. Somebody pointed out to me that if pastor art had punched his, congregants he wouldn't see that much time in jail you know it, it's amazing and of course the mainstream media 
are the cheerleading section to yeah. see these pastors put in jail. And then go back to your personal story, uh, Sheila, uh, Dion Buse or whatever alias he's going by these days, because I understand uh, he may have changed his name. He mm -hmm. gets a glowing article in the CBC. Gee, I thought CBC was pro-feminist, anti-violence, anti-violence against women for sure. But I guess uh, when he gives you a knuckle sandwich, this is something to celebrate. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and it, the same thing, the, the court wants the same thing for, or rather not the court, but Alberta Health Services. They're asking for the same amount of jail time for Chris Scott, the small town business owner, Jeez. who uh, his only crime really was not going broke quietly and, uh, and protesting the lockdown. He literally got arrested for protesting the lockdown on a court order that Alberta Health Services sought in secret so that his lawyer couldn't participate. So Alberta Health Services comes in with dirty hands. They basically violate Chris Scott's civil rights by denying him legal representation in a court proceeding that would result ultimately in his three-day incarceration. And now that's not enough for them. They want 21 more days because he didn't go broke quietly enough. Sheila, here's my question to you. To me, and I, I can't prove this, of course, but it seems that this is a vendetta against these pastors. What I want to know from you is what is the unspoken strategy behind this vendetta? What, what is fueling this hate on for men that are they're good men, Sheila? Well, I think it, it's sort of twofold here. Um, first of all, the the Alberta Health Services is, you know, obviously angry with them because these men, all of them, the pastors, the business owners, they would not bend the knee to the state. They, uh, with Chris Scott's case, he, you know, he had the support of the his customers. He had the support of his community. Everybody was cheering for him. And ultimately, he embarrassed the province into reopening restaurants before we went into a third lockdown. So he really moved the needle through his public shame and you know like you're bringing the full force of Alberta Health Services down on a roadside diner owner in literally the middle of nowhere and so you know once you kick the ball down that road it's hard to stop right the snowball is just picking up and picking up and picking up and with pastor art I, I guess for them it was you know we had this Chris Scott inspired a restaurant rebellion the pastors inspired this church rebellion on some level. Um, it's why they still proceed with um, the persecution of Pastor James Coates. It's why they haven't dropped any of the proceedings against uh, Tim Stevens. They're still going forward with that. But I guess in like the macro sense, they are continuing with this, not just because they were embarrassed once, but because I think the stage is being set and you can sort of feel it in the air for another lockdown come the fall when um, flu season pops up again. Every, the media won't shut up about the Delta variant or the Lambda variant. We're running out of, you know, uh, characters to name these things after. And so I think these men have to be taught a lesson to send a message to everybody else who thinks, you know what? I'm not locking down again in the fall. I've got nothing left to lose. The province is sending a message. Oh, yes, you do have something left to lose. It's not just your business. It's not just your livelihood. We will take your liberty too.
You know, it, it, it's, it almost reminds me of a story I did uh, earlier this month, Jenny Wang of the souvenir market at St. Lawrence Market got into, she alleges, a, uh, a dispute with uh, one of the bureaucrats there. And suddenly, after almost two decades in business, yep. she's being evicted. She's losing her livelihood. This is a woman that came to, you know, uh, from China. Uh, you know, in the early 90s, she led to, to pursue the Canadian dream. And um, I don't know, you know, there's the roller coaster capital of the world is Cedar Point in Ohio. And there's a roller coaster there. It's called the mean streak. And I think with certain bureaucrats, Sheila, they have a mean streak. They know they're immune, I think, to any discipline or firing. Uh, all this nonsense, we're all in this together. No, none of them lost an hour's worth of work. Many of them got pay raises. And I think there's a feeling of uh, that they're invincible, they're invulnerable. And if they've got a sour personality, wow, you don't want to cross these people, even though it is our money, taxpayer dollars, funding their salaries. These are bloodthirsty people with an unearned sense of power. And they don't want to give it back. You know, they see the, the, the end of the pandemic as the end of their own importance. And they can just go back to shuffling paper around. Like Before the pandemic, the only time we ever heard of Dina Hinshaw, the chief medical officer of health, was every year for a couple hours in the news before Stampede where she would pop up and warn us all about STDs. And now there's always like this outbreak no. of STDs. Really? Yes, I, I swear to God, I'll send you the the, um, <laughs> the news coverage. But that was the first time I heard her name. It's the only time you ever heard her name was she would warn about the outbreak of STDs, syphilis and gonorrhea in the wake of Stampede. And you know what, frankly, good advice that's the kind of advice that i need her warning people about <laughs> actual dangerous communicable diseases um spread by gross behavior um and that was it she would pop up like i said to you in that text message like a prudish punxatani phil to <laughs> warn us all for a little bit she would see her shadow and then she would go back down for another year that's that's what these people used to do now they're media stars celebrities and they have the power to strip you of $1,200, strip you of $5,000, yeah. close your business, take away your liberty. This is power they never even imagined they would ever have, and I don't think they want to give it back. No, I, I think you're quite uh, right in that assessment, Sheila. I mean, honestly, until a year and a half ago, I had never heard the name Teresa Tam. She's a household right. name now. In Toronto, Cruella de Villa, you know, the chief medical health officer who's signing all those eviction notices for restaurants that dare to open uh, before they're allowed to. Uh, I, again, um, I, I call John Tory now the deputy mayor of Toronto because it seems that Villa is actually running the show. Uh, he is so beholden, uh, given his lack of spine to this woman, that uh, he just, uh, you know, follows her every women fancy. And again, I never heard this name until about a year and a half ago. So I think you're right. Uh, I think they got a little taste of uh, yep. celebrity, and they kind of dig that taste, Sheila. Yeah, yeah, it's in the bloodstream. And uh, they're not going to give it back. They don't want to go back to obscurity, pencil pushing. Like, it's not enough that they're overpaid for what they do. I think Dina Hinshaw is the highest paid bureaucrat in Alberta. Mm. Um, it's not enough that they are making, you know, a third of a million bucks a year, more than the um, premier of the province. That's not enough for them. They like the power. 
Whereas yeah. a lot of other people would just shut up, shuffle some paper around and take home uh, an inflated salary, not these people. It's in the bloodstream. And, and you know, it's the sanctimonious attitude they have. I'm doing this, I'm uh, carrying out this carnage Public for health. your protection, for your safety. Give me a break. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. I do understand, uh, Mr. Producer, do we have a Pastor Art video clip lined up? So Hi. let's go to okay. it now. Thank you. Adam Sos here for Rebel News, and for weeks on end, I would see Pastor Arthur Pawlowski at least a couple of times a week. He was a headline newsmaker. When it started, originally he was getting in trouble for feeding the homeless, frequent encounters with police. Everything escalated in the viral get out, get out video that had millions of views. Immediately Gestapo is not... Allowed! Out! Do you understand English? Get out of this property. Go. So go. Go. And don't come back without a warrant. Out, Nazi. Finally, we had the dramatic roadside arrest of Pastor Arthur Pawlowski. He was in jail, and since that time he is free, and he's actually been touring the United States visiting churches and talking to important political figures, sharing the cautionary tale of what has happened in Canada. He joins me live in just a moment for an exclusive interview. So great to see you. It's been a little while. We used to see each other a couple of times a week. Now it feel, feels like it's been a few weeks, certainly. Um, so where have you been? Fill everybody in on your latest adventures. Well, it's incredible here in the United States of America. I was supposed to be here just for a few weeks uh, to speak to a number of uh, churches and a number of, um, you know, conferences. Uh, but it turns out that Americans absolutely adore me. They love the fight. They love what is going on uh, if it comes to resistance towards tyranny because they understand that what's happening in, in Canada is coming to United States as well so they appreciate anyone that is willing to stand up for freedom for liberty i have been touring in about 13 states so far and uh, more are coming i got literally hundreds of invitations to come to speak at different conferences different churches different halls uh, republican um meetings, uh, tea party meetings. I was invited so far to incredible, incredible uh, places. I've met with the governor, uh, William Lee, the governor of Tennessee. I had a meeting with uh, John Rose, uh, the congressman. I had a meeting with Brian Dunaway. He is the district attorney. And I had a meeting with a number of senators, either uh, state senators or U.S. senators. So incredible journey, uh, very sympathetic towards what is happening with me and other Christians, other pastors in Canada. They all are like one voice willing to stand up and help the writing as we speak writing letters uh, to Canadian government, uh, pretty much telling them what Senator Hawley said, stop this persecution or you will be counted alongside other nations that are persecuting and prosecuting Christians like China or Russia or Saudi Arabia. 
So wherever I go, I'm telling you, it's so incredible, such a big difference. I get standing ovations every single time. I mean, I'm here over a month, month and a half almost, and everywhere I go and I speak almost daily, sometimes twice a day, I get a standing ovation. Um, it looks like American Eagle is rising up and it started to flap its wings. Well, there is certain. Wow, Sheila, just look at that reception stateside Pastor Art is yep. getting. It reminds me of a, of a Leafs playoff game, SRO, <laughs> sold right out, standing room only. And that's what he's getting. And also, media coverage, he, he was on Tucker Carlson, uh, was he not, at one point? And yep. the so where are the sit-down, long-form interviews uh, by the CBC, Global, CTV? He's persona non grata here. That tells you a lot, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's twofold, though. They wouldn't talk to him anyway, but would he sit down with him knowing what he knows about CBC and the hit piece they would ultimately create from him? It's probably wise that he doesn't, but the point is that they haven't asked him anyways. It's just yeah. like Aaron Coates, Pastor James Coates' wife, um, she didn't talk to the mainstream media, but she did talk to Tucker Carlson and she did talk to me. They actually didn't even allow the mainstream media on the church property. They had to stand in the ditch across the road. Um, I remember that. Be <laughs> because the only reason they're remotely interested in any of this Christian prosecution and persecution is to try to justify it in some way and call, you know, Pastor Art or Grace Life Church, a bunch of dangerous super spreaders, all the while skipping over the fact that the state is willing to stuff them into facilities where there are coronavirus outbreaks. And actually that came up in court today with Pastor Art. The, the judge even noted that Alberta Health Services, in the interest of public health, is seeking to incarcerate the Poloskis um, in jail, again, in facilities that have had coronavirus outbreaks. And again, all in the name of public health, because you, apparently that's what's necessary, is you take healthy men out of their coronavirus-free congregations and then stick them into facilities that have coronavirus all in the name of protecting the public health. And Sheila, to rewind the tape when it comes to Pastor Art, even pre-COVID, what is it with the city of Calgary or the province of Alberta that has a problem with him feeding the homeless? Well, that's the thing. Like, he's he's got plenty of opinions, as we all know about Pastor Art. And, you know, but that doesn't mean that he can't go out there and feed the homeless. He doesn't like Mayor Nahid Nenshi. Obviously, Mayor Nahid Nenshi in Calgary doesn't like Pastor Art either. But that's not a crime. That's freedom. That's what it's like in a free society. You can go about your business and express your political opinions quietly or loudly. It doesn't matter. But in Calgary, it would seem that they are using... First of all, it was um, noise violations, uh, tickets for other things, and then now coronavirus regulations to crack down on Pastor Art. I mean, he got a ticket for an illegal public gathering for feeding the homeless in downtown Calgary when it was like minus 30 that day or minus 28 or something that day. You can see the clothes Pastor Art's wearing. He's wearing a skidoo suit uh, to feed the homeless. But in the city of Calgary... For the police that day, and whoever cited, 
called the cops because the cops, I don't think at that point they were just showing up. They were being sent there for whoever did that. For them, it was more important to crack down on pastor art than to make sure some of society's most vulnerable and most disenfranchised. It, it didn't matter if they went hungry because for them, the means justified the ends. Unbelievable. And noise violations, boy, they're really stretching there, Sheila. What next? Is Alberta Health Services going to go after the ice cream trucks for playing? <laughs> Don't laugh. They're not the only guys who are doing it. I think it was uh, Montreal police ticketed one of our Fight the Fines people for noise violations that they use for traveling musicians um, because he was using uh, a like a amplification system, but not like he wasn't blaring it because he was protesting the lockdown. And, you know, like you see BLM all the time using bullhorns, whatever, constantly. They don't get tickets, but he was out there talking about the lockdown and he got this noise violation ticket. So we said, get over here, get it. You're a fight the fines client now. And so, you know, like they're just using whatever they can to shut people up. I guess that's the moral of the story. So petty. Well, Sheila, to switch uh, gears here, um, why don't we... Oh, I understand from Mr. Producer, we already have some chats in. So before we go to our next subject, uh, Sheila, can you do your thing? I will. We've got a rumble chat from MVP337. 3337, I guess. Sheila's wearing her Justin Castro shirt. Yes, I am. Funny that everybody should ask. (laughs) So... This is not one of ours. However, if you do like cheeky conservative t-shirts, might I suggest you head on over to rebelnewsstore.com. If you use the coupon code Sheila10, you should be able to get 10% off there if you haven't already used it. Did I lose you guys? Okay. And, um, or Menzies 10, and there's a really great Menzies t-shirt over in there. But this shirt that I am currently wearing is actually from resistancecoffee.com. And, um, I like Resistance Coffee because not only have they sponsored my show, um, but we have a really great partnership with them in that they, first of all, they don't care. They don't care if you don't like them. Like (laughs) they're sort of like they don't care about cancel culture. I have a defund the CBC t-shirt from Resistance Coffee hanging in my office here. And this one, like the fun Justin Castro shirt, Um, (laughs) very timely given what's going on in Cuba. But Resistance Coffee gives 10% of their sales back to civil liberties initiatives. And one of those civil liberties initiatives is fightthefines.com. So I'm proud to wear their merchandise. I'm proud to talk about them because they really do give back. Like when they say they are the resistance, they really are helping us help other people, normal people resist the lockdowns through their generous donations to fightthefines.com. So yeah, if you like this shirt, it's over on resistancecoffee.com. You know, Sheila, why doesn't uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau just uh, quash these rumors uh, and take a DNA test uh, a la the Jerry Springer show? Boy, that would be a blockbuster rating show. It would also explain a lot, right? <laughs> It would explain so much. Yeah, because, you know, there's a there's a huge constituency that really believes. Uh, and who am I to say it's true or untrue? I, I don't know. All the more reason for him to uh, do that DNA test. But that will never happen, of course. No, I don't know. I just think, you know, that's a <laughs> couple of guys who look alike. It's that's a all. hell of a resemblance. I got to tell you. Yeah, you know, just a couple of guys who look alike. And, you know, I'm just who even knows? 
Um, just a coincidence. Just a coincidence that, you know, Justin kind of looks like Fidel and his mother spent a lot of time in Cuba next to Fidel and just just a coincidence. <laughs> I just think they have similar smiles. That's all. OK, let's keep going before we get in big trouble. Um, We've got a hyper chat of five libraries from Cave Time. Sorry about the YouTube demonetization. YouTube is trash. Now, YouTube is, I called them evil. Um, and I think when you take away people's ability to speak ab out about things that they care about and spread their message, I think that's evil. Um, but we still broadcast there. I don't know. I, I like us to be there a little bit for spite, but we have 1.5 million YouTube subscribers there. Yep. And what a great way for us to spread the message that there are other platforms out there that don't care about your politics. Then, you know, like, what a good way for us to do that by using YouTube to help chip away at YouTube just a little bit at a time by using them. So that's why we're still there. We, If you're watching us on YouTube, you know what? Take that off ramp over to one of those other platforms. Uh, and we don't want to abandon those people. They have been our supporters for a very long time. And we still want to make sure that we're there for them in a way that they want to watch us. 100%. We've got a super you tip from, oh, Quango Chef. I haven't seen you in a long time. Um, oh, did I lose you guys? Did I lose you guys? Sometimes things go down in my ear. But anyways, Quango Chef tipped us $2. Well, that's very kind. Thank you very much. Uh, we've got a hyper chat from History Club World. You know, David, we have this guy, and he came through for us this time. And I saw this chat come in, so I did some Googling myself. And it, things I already knew, but I just sort of forgot. Johnny Appleseed was an American missionary and plant nursery owner. The story is created based on his incredible kindness. Follow History Club World on Instagram. Yeah, he was eccentric. Um, he didn't wear shoes. And um, he would take the seeds from like cider presses. So like the waste product, he would take the apple seeds and then he would grow the trees from the apple seeds and then give them to the pioneer people um, mm. to start orchards. And he would go around proselytizing and he was just like a, he wore ragged clothes and he didn't wear any shoes. And uh, I think he, despite his uh, disheveled appearance, died quite wealthy because he just didn't spend his money. He just was out there on the land. You gotta buy a pair of shoes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I don't know. I'm all for a frugal existence, Sheila, but shoes, come on, that's a necessity. <laughs> shoes on the frontier. Like, you know, where there's, there's know. no sidewalks, there's no lawn. Like, you, you know, it's just oh. sticks and rocks and brambles. Um, so we've got a super you from Cry for Justice says, why can't we recall Kenny? Um, because we don't have recall legislation here in Alberta yet. And the recall legislation that we do have has a bit of a poison pill built into yeah. it so that it doesn't work. Um, and we've covered that quite extensively um, here on Rebel News. So um, it, it's, I mean, it's great in theory. Um, I'd love to do to some of our politicians, what they're doing to Gavin or Gavin gruesome in uh, California. <laughs> Sounds like an Adams family character. <laughs> he is if you're a small business owner. Um, so I'd love to be able to do uh, to Gavin gruesome or to Jason <laughs> Kenny, what they're doing to Gavin gruesome in California, but we just don't have that here. 
we've got a rumble chat from Lola Big Cups America. Oh, it says America loves Pastor Archer. Yeah, it sure looks that way, doesn't it? Mm. We've got a rumble from Share21. Archer is doing what Nenshi won't. You mean take care of the homeless population in Calgary in a way that um, seems to be effective? That's the thing. For Pastor Art, and he's always very clear about this, a lot of the people that he works with in Calgary, they aren't people who are able to go to shelter beds through, you know, addiction or mental illness. And so they are on the streets um, through their own choice, their own behavior, whatever. But that doesn't mean that they should be hungry and cold. And so that's what Pastor Art does. And so he's the point of contact and oftentimes the point of survival for people who have truly slipped through the cracks. And yeah. it's not really slipping through the cracks. It's slipping through a big cliff. Yeah. Um, and so he's there for them and the city isn't. So um, to ticket and punish him for that, I, it's really outrageous. It's quite gross, actually. And uh, we've got one hyper chat from History Club World. Do you think there is any way for us to re, I, I think it means readjust the power of the public health officials? I'm not sure. You know, I, I got a cool shirt uh, from resistancecoffee.com actually, and it says defund AHS. And uh, I think that might be the solution, but I don't think we have politicians who are um, brave enough to stand up to the public sector unions because um the Alberta health bureaucracy, and I think this is the same all over, um, and especially it's reared its ugly head during this pandemic. They are just too powerful. They control too much power. And I think that comes from just the enormous amount of the budget of provincial governments that healthcare eats up. I mean, sometimes it's nearing half of the provincial budget. And for what? It, it all has to be scaled back, privatized. We need to take a, a Ralph Klein approach, privatize as much as we can, um, as even as even and probably especially the support services, because many of those support services were sort of gathered up into the public sector because they are union dues that only enable things to keep growing and growing and growing. So I think maybe that's it. We need to defund these people a little bit. And every time there's... there's um, they call them cuts, but they're not even cuts. They're just not um, raises as fast as the public sector would like. And every time they're, the public sector doesn't receive a raise or a growth in the public sector fast enough, they cry cuts. And so we have to change the conversation and all of that. But Sheila, I think you are indeed making the argument for, I don't know, a royal commission, a public inquiry, that when the dust settles, the smoke clears, when we're finally out of this COVID nonsense, I don't know how many months or even years down the road that'll be. We have to have a serious investigation in terms of how unelected, non-accountable health bureaucrats wielded so much power, be it at the municipal, uh, the federal, the provincial level. Um, I think that is, that, that is uh, crucial, you know, that these people, as we said earlier, they went from nobodies to celebrities 
And man, they had a bazooka on their shoulder when it came to shutting down small businesses and putting entrepreneurs into actual prison cells. This is surely beyond their mandate. And we have to have an inquiry into this to make sure that if we ever get into another pandemic in the decades down the road, this never happens again. Well, there have been already some inquiries started and people are just sort of ignoring them because they sort of get chucked down the memory hole of the mainstream media. I forget which province it was, Quebec or Ontario. They were basic, basically euthanizing grandparents like they were unwanted animals at the pound. Yeah. Um, they were providing them uh, painkillers to make them comfortable instead of providing them effective treatments for COVID-19 yeah. in these nursing homes. And the, I mean, a lot of people don't know that. That's so outrageous that they didn't provide life-saving medical treatment to someone's grandparents that were already isolated away in these nursing homes. That, I mean, they were just making them comfortable and allowing them to die. I think it was Quebec, and that would make sense because Quebec is such a pro-euthanasia uh, culture that um, once you become difficult, you just, uh, you they want you to just take the next train off planet Earth. Um, and so, you know, th those examinations are already out there, yeah. but how do you get through the wall that is the mainstream media. I guess as long as they're terrible, we'll always have a job. Yeah, and, and Sheila, I'll never forget that moment where uh, one of Ontario's top public health officials, Dr. Barbara Yaffe, that hot mic moment where she said basically, oh, they give me these papers to read. I don't know, you know what I'm reading. What? I, I thought you're the one uh, crafting, yeah. but who is they, right? Yeah. I mean, I don't even understand why this woman still has a job and, and you know, and uh, telling us to tut tut, stop what you're doing uh, after that moment. Uh, it, that was totally egregious, I thought. Yeah, but I mean, it makes perfect sense that, you know, again, these people are more well paid than the premiers in the provinces oh, yeah. in which they work. Yep. And they can't even read their notes. <laughs> <laughs> they can't even read their notes. Like they're just phoning it in. Um, the second half of that uh, hyperchat says, as for the Archer trip, I have an idea for what Rebel should have done. Sent a camera crew to follow him around and then make a documentary about it. Here's the problem with that, though, is that we would have to have our guys uh, quarantine. They'd yep. be subject to quarantine on the way back. And then we lose our people for like a month, <laughs> a month. And we, we don't have a bunch of camera crew just standing around holding up walls like they do down at the CBC. Our yep. guys who are videographers are also video editors and sometimes you even see them in front of the camera. So, um, you know, I'm sure, and Pastor Art, he records everything he does anyway. So there's there's a lot of that footage out there and you know, it would have been great if we were able to have done that, but just because of the quarantine measures, um, it's it would have been nearly impossible. Which is a good segue to our next video, Sheila. I mean, you know, airports across Canada during this. Oh, we uh, don't have a, a video rather, but um, regardless, airports across our dominion uh, in the last 16 months, uh, we've had to fly occasionally. And I call them yeah. factories of sadness. Most of the businesses and the food service outlets, they're shuttered. Uh, and uh, 
all the employees seem to be walking around with double or triple masks and sometimes that like sort of science fiction plastic thing in front of their mouth as well. And, um, you know, air, airport travel with all the frisking and searching and lineups, <laughs> it's never been uh, great, but it is now um, demonstrably worse with all the masking requirements, I think. And now we're getting into the situation, Sheila, with some airports, um, the most recent one here in Toronto, Pearson International, where it's um, there's lineups for those who are doubly vaxxed and those who are not. So again, another indicator that despite what our authorities were saying, oh no, a vaccine passport, that's outrageous. Uh, that, that, that's conspiracy stuff. <laughs> but here we go. It's coming, isn't it, Sheila? Well, they're like, oh, no, it's not a vaccine passport. You just literally have to show your vaccination status alongside your passport mm. when, you, when you're returning home to see w whether or not you can get into one line or the other. I mean, it's not a vaccine passport, but it, it, it serves the exact same purpose. You can call it whatever you want, but really at the end of the day, it is this piece of paper or digital document that says that you can do certain things and you can't do other things. And no, I, uh, if Pete, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, I see uh, this just in, as they like to say, uh, Mr. Producer, always Johnny on the spot. Look at that. Already Pearson Airport reverses decision to separate arrivals by vaccination status. Jeez, I, I thought it just kicked in because I think the first airport that did this was Vancouver International, wasn't it, Sheila? And I don't know if Vancouver's reversed their policy. And apparently, uh, Mr. Producer thinks they have too. So, um, wow, this might be a good story in the making. No more uh, airport apartheid uh, in terms of who's vaccinated and who isn't. Well, you know, frankly, I think this just shows the bubble in which these bureaucrats work in, mm. right? Like, they all sat around a table and thought this was a really great idea. Yeah, 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 people are going to love this. People aren't going to be mad about this. Herded into two different lanes like a bunch of cattle. Uh, you know, <laughs> like they didn't they didn't think that the Canadian public would be like, hey, no, that's that's weird and gross. And it actually has acts as like a certain public shaming effort too. oh, look, you're in the cooties line and we're not in the cooties line and I don't want to be in the cooties line next time. So I'll give in to the peer pressure to get a vaccination like I, I think the bureaucrats didn't realize how gross the Canadian public thought this would all be. Oh, 100%. You know, Sheila, I, but I got to tell you, I'm confused on this story because the date uh, of that story of the policy reversal is uh, July 26th, which was yesterday. And driving into the office listening to 680 News, it was a story about a vaccine and non-vaccine lineup at Pearson here on July 27th. So has the reversal been reversed? <laughs> Who even knows? Maybe you need to go down to Pearson, don't you, David? I guess I do. Oh, joy. <laughs> now, uh, one, there's one story in here that I kind of wanted to talk about. And Justin, I'm sorry, I can't see if you're going to bring this up on screen because I can't see anything. But I wanted to talk about this masterpiece of an article in the Globe and Mail. And mm. uh, David, it's I, I tease you about this sort of stuff, but you actually do have a pickup. Uh, it's a ladies pickup, but I mean, it's a pickup nonetheless. <laughs> I call it an urban pickup truck. And, it, you know, here's the thing, Sheila. It's a truck that's now defunct, uh, folks. It was a, uh, the Explorer uh, used to, before when it was an SUV, before it became a crossover in model year 2011. 
uh, built a, uh, a pickup truck version called the Sport Track. And yeah. uh, I bought a very handsome one, the Adrenaline Edition. And you know what? It was basically, I'll tell you the number one problem, especially in North America, is people buying too much vehicle to satisfy their needs, right? So No, that's not a problem. This is made up. <laughs> this is not but a problem. having said that, I applaud anyone. If that's what they want to spend their money on, that's fine. But this pickup for my needs, which was at the time, two kids in hockey, uh, at one point, both goaltenders. So if you look at the size of goaltending equipment, that went into the bed. It's a four-door you know, cab, which really, if you're a pickup truck purist, uh, four doors are heresy. Uh, a pickup truck Excuse should me? be. Oh, no, no, no. A, pick, a classic American pickup truck should only be two doors. The, the Adding those extra set of doors is kind of the minivanification of the pickup truck. Anyways, I'm just saying that suited our, the, our needs perfectly. All-wheel drive, um, four doors, a bed big enough for stinky goalie equipment to go in. Bob's your uncle. But this idea, this story about pickup trucks being a plague, a um, plague. It, 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 it's unbelievable. And what I don't understand about it, the fallacy here, uh, Sheila, is that you will have supersized SUVs built on essentially a pickup truck platform. Well, how come SUVs aren't a plague or extra large crossovers for that matter? I mean, this, this story is nonsensical. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people out there driving vans that don't need to drive vans and I don't care. I don't care what you need to drive. It's none of my business. If you're paying the bills and you can put fuel in it, none of my business I, i'm not one of those people who thinks that your suv or your your pickup truck is um killing the world um <laughs> and uh, like this it's the article is in the globe and mail the title is pickup trucks are a plague on canadian streets he might mean toronto streets because this guy is <laughs> obviously never left downtown toronto it starts off it starts off this is beautiful Many things have changed in pandemic times. One that has not is North America's love affair with the pickup truck. Even in the midst of economic uncertainty, consumers lined up to buy these hulking, belching kings of the road. It makes me actually want to go to the dealership when this guy <laughs> says stuff like this. Once the vehicle of the cowboy, the contractor, and the good old boy, all people I want to hang out with, pickup trucks have become the continent's mainstream ride. Even city parking lots are full of, simply full of them. In Canada, Ford's F-150 has been the best-selling auto for years. It's the best-selling auto for years, not because people just have money to burn. It's practical. That's where I come from. That's the pickup truck that your mother-in-law drives. That's not even a ladies' pickup truck. That's a little small for a ladies' pickup truck. But... The, it, they're they're comfortable. They're practical. You can do things with them. You're not uh, renting a vehicle if you need to move something. And you know, like, moreover, it's none of this guy's business. The guy who wrote this, his name is Marcus G. And I have some uh, speculations about Mr. Marcus G. Like maybe some handsome rig hand stole his girlfriend at the meat counter <laughs> while he was off squeezing the tofu for firmness over in the deli. Like this is a guy who 
got cut off on the way to hot yoga and the article <laughs> is his response to this and globe and mail was like yep print that baby like this this is why mainstream media is failing right here it is unbelievable and yet i bet even mr g when it comes to moving day when he knows of anyone in his social circle that actually owns a pickup truck, because this has happened to me several times, even with my lady pickup truck, as you call it, Sheila. Um, boy, uh, you really learn uh, who your friends are because they they're on the hotline to say, uh, can you bring your truck over? I got to move. Or can you bring your truck over? I got a, a ton of stuff yeah. to haul to the landfill site. But what that says to me, Sheila, is the sheer utility of these vehicles, right? Um, and, and what's wrong with that? I, I mean, uh, what would be better um, making one trip in one pickup truck with all your stuff in the bed or making 28 trips in a Toyota Prius uh, with, you know, bit by bit of uh, stuff in the uh, in the hatchback area. So I, I think if you crunch the numbers, you could argue that in that case, the pickup truck is an environmental champion. One trip, it's done, as opposed to multiple going back and forth and burning all that carbon. And listen, you know, I mean, we, we live in a golden age of automobiles. If you want to yeah. buy a retro muscle car, like a Challenger, a Camaro, a Mustang, they're there for you. If you want to buy a minivan, a category that didn't exist till the early 80s, it's there. SUVs, electric cars, plug-in hybrids, you name it. And uh, what's wrong with that? And I got to tell you, Sheila, last weekend, for the first time, and I went, as he drove by, I gave him a big thumbs up because uh, I don't, maybe, maybe this model is more prevalent out in Alberta, but for the first time on Toronto streets, I saw a Ram T-Rex, which is this 707 horsepower monster. I mean, yep. it, it, it kicks the um, uh, Ford F-150 Raptor uh, to, the, uh, to the curb until next year when I understand Ford is going to make the Raptor R and put the Shelby Mustang engine into that. So it'll be at the 700 horsepower level too. I don't know why GM is sitting out in the, the horsepower races, but I guess they're too uh, hell-bent on going to all electrification by 2035. But the point is, um, sure, it's impractical, right? A 777 horsepower uh, truck in an urban environment. But if that's what he likes, if that's his muscle car slash truck, that's his money. I bump into him, by the way, at the Petro Canada because you're going to be filling that tank up a lot of times. Yeah. Then so be it. Freedom of choice. My vehicle, my choice, right? <laughs> well, this this article drips of classism, I think. Oh, yes. Um, it, it's just sleazy classism, exactly what you would expect from the Laurentian elite, right? Like cowboys and good old boys are the only people who should drive these things and those cowboys and good old boys with their fun, practical, good-looking pickups, they're infecting the upper classes with their pickup trucks. Um, like, it's, they're literally describing my husband's pickup truck in this article as a bad thing. And I'm like, yeah, honey, looks good. You know what, though? We should consider getting something a little newer. Um, so it says, uh, he talks about pickup trucks have become supersized and jacked up in form. We've all seen the lifted, and they put lifted in scare quotes as in, as in a, lift, a lift kit is scary. Um, <laughs> versions with their high profiles and their giant wheels. 
the tricked out models with gleaming chrome. Like, uh, how does chrome... <laughs> What's wrong with gleaming chrome? <laughs> What's wrong with taking care of your stuff? Anyways, extra lights, big bumpers, and fancy racks. Like, he thinks a headache rack is fancy, but whatever. I mean, it, it, they're literally describing the vehicle of the blue collar oil patch worker or the blue collar farmer or the cowboy or the construction worker as a, a thing of disgust here. Um, and he goes on to complain that a recent U.S. report found that more than half a million diesel pickups had been fitted with devices. This is so funny because if you work in the oil patch, you know exactly what this guy's talking about. A recent U.S. report has found that more than half a million diesel pickup trucks had been fitted with devices that override their emissions controls, dumping pollutants into the air. You mean things that make your vehicle more efficient and don't bung it up? Anyways, uh, in the... Oh, this is my favorite. In the charming practice known as rolling coal, some pickup drivers blow past cyclists and electric vehicles (laughs) and deliberately... Few black smoke at them. I'm not saying it's deliberate, but it happens. I've heard of that, Sheila, and I do a lot of cycling, and I've never actually witnessed or seen that, even out, you know, in the country. Uh, you know, I know it does happen, but I think that's exaggerated. It's almost like a, a, an urban legend. But I got to tell you, you know, uh, about six or seven years ago, I have a good friend. He's a civil engineer. He lives in a section of Toronto called Leeside. Um, Leeside is a very snobby area of the city. Uh, it, it's where people will go to the healthy planet with recycled bags, you know, for their stuff. Mm-hmm. And him and his wife both have GMC Yukon Denali's. And uh, one is parked in the spot, the parking spot of the house, and one is on the sidewalk. And one day his wife came out and she thought she had received a parking ticket but it was a yellow sticky note and it was an anonymous note from someone in the community basically chastising my friends for don't you think this is a little much for this community that you have two large SUVs so he showed me the note (laughs) my lord And I and I thought I thought if that had happened, you know, to you, Sheila, as someone leaving you that note and you catching them in the act, oh, I don't even think want to know what could have happened. <laughs> that is exactly how I end up at the dealership trading in my Jeep for something bigger. Like <laughs> just for spite. This okay, the last paragraph of this article might be the best. Okay. Because um it's they, they're basically tol- calling pickup trucks toxic masculinity without saying it. You knew that that was coming in here. And again, classism. Those stupid hillbillies are making money and we can't have that, right? <laughs> it's, it reads, even if they weren't polluting and dangerous. Okay. The parade of pickup trucks would, would be a blight on the roadscape and a finger in the eye of other drivers. A way of saying to everyone else, I'm bigger badder and richer than you a vehicle that started as a practical tool for hardworking people has become for many an obnoxious assertion of dominance and division the end but you know sheila again i don't understand if we're judging a vehicle by its mass why the bias to a pickup truck a ford f-150 is a big truck yes of course but so is a cadillac escalade you know, it yeah. is this huge box on wheels. So 
why doesn't the criticism extend to SUVs? And I think you're right. There is a classism thing here. This idea of this is a, a hillbilly limousine, something with an open bed. Yeah. Whereas if you enclose it like an Escalade, then that's okay. That's an urban cruiser. I mean, it makes no sense. And by the way, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't there some allegations about that article that there's some plagiarism in it from another anti-pickup truck article? Yeah, I mean, how many times can you rent, write an anti-pickup truck <laughs> article, though, before it just becomes boilerplate? Um, yeah, I think it, uh, for me, this thing, whole thing smacks of classism. It's it's the same reason that when or it's the same like mentality that when the oil patch hits a downturn, carbon tax chases away our jobs, pipelines get blocked and chases away more jobs and people start to lose their houses and their cars and their businesses. We get the scolds from the eastern part of the country or the urban elite, even in our own province, and they say, well, you shouldn't have blown all your money on toys and pickup trucks. <laughs> you know, the money, the money that we were earning when we had jobs that we spent however we wanted and it wasn't any of your business. Yeah, uh, I'd like to see how much in savings the people scolding those people have in their bank accounts, because I think they're probably also a paycheck away from bankruptcy. But they look down their noses because our fun doesn't involve going to um, wine tastings. Our fun involves going out and shooting a $1,200 shotgun at some targets for fun and ripping around on dirt bikes. And, you know, everybody's fun costs money. They just think ours is a little bit uncouth. And, and you know, Sheila, I think that if there's two vehicles that define, two vehicle classes rather, that define the American, the all-American automobile, it would be the muscle cars, the original muscle cars, which was a brief period yeah. in time, basically uh, mid-60s to early 70s. And, of course, the pickup truck. It doesn't get any more American than that. And, you know, and i got to tell you, folks, on a personal level, the day I truly fell in love with Sheila Gunn-Reed is when she told me she once owned a Subaru Brat. And I believe <laughs> Brat is an acronym for Buy Recreation uh, all-terrain vehicle and uh, and and it was ingenious by Subaru because when the Brat was being manufactured they, they imported it with two seats in the bed of the pickup truck yeah I understand that made it a vehicle as opposed to a truck so it would come in at a lower tariff rate they were beating the government at its uh, vehicle tariff uh, game and um, but just it is the most surreal vehicle ever because the first time I saw a Subaru Brat, it was on Dam Davenport Avenue in Toronto. It was a torrential rainstorm and there was two people seat belted into the seats in the open bed, soaked to the bone. <laughs> so, and those seats were just like banquet chairs with the legs removed, just bolted into the truck bed. They're like not, not nice, not comfortable, just plastic banquet chairs with no legs, just drilled in and Sheila they, you they should never have gotten body. rid of that car that, that that truck that I think I'm sure by now the Subaru Brat is quasi collectible if not outright oh, collectible sure. but I wonder what Marcus G would say about that little truck with the, the seats on the <laughs> you know I don't know I mean when you're just what a soy soaked article anyways we should <laughs> quickly <laughs> wrap this up because we're three minutes over um we've got a super you tip yes. from annalisa she gives us twenty dollars thank you annalisa good to see you 
We've got a super you shout from Devil's Advocate. You can't have a tailgate party with a Prius. Ain't that <laughs> the truth? <laughs> a lot of this anti-pickup truck nonsense is just rewriting history, right? The country is built um, by blue-collar people yep. who drive pickup trucks. And you, they just want to rewrite the importance of those people right out of the history books. We've got a hyper chat. Ten libraries. Well, thank you very much from Rebecca Henderson. Candace Owens is talking about Canada's vaccination segregation on her show. Excited to hear her thoughts. Me too. Mm. There are restaurants that are forcing unvaxxed people to sit outside. You might as well say disabled people sit outside. Everyone else can go inside. Yeah. It's medical segregation. On that note, though, Sheila, as a little teaser, I do have a report of a uh, a place in Oakville, uh, the uh, the Moonshine Cafe, that did install that policy. And and basically, um, and the restaurateur, good guy, John, I spoke to him. uh, All the regulars were thumbs up with it. But oh boy, did he get blowback. And I'm happy to say uh, that even before there was going to be a protest outside his restaurant, he's already reversed that policy. It doesn't matter if you're vaxxed or unvaxxed. And really, you know, who, why should a restaurateur be asking you about your medical history? Would they also ask, uh, by the way, any uh, recent sexually transmitted diseases uh, either? Because we have a special section for you people too. Yeah. Yeah, it's gross. It's just gross. And the amount of people trying to justify it, <sighs> It's also just virtue signaling, right? Because if you're trying to justify it, then you're like, look at me, I'm a good person, I'm vaccinated, I'm the best. Um, We've got a hyper chat from Juice Moose. Someone call that article author Wine 11 (laughs) and get them a wambulance. Yeah, there's there's a a great deal of, um, like I said, that article is just soy soaked. It's just oozing soy milk. It's barf, just barf. Anyways, I think we're all cut up now. We're six minutes past. Well, that is fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody who contributed to our uh, financial situation through those various uh, crypto ways and uh, old-fashioned cash. <laughs> Great, greatly appreciated. Thank you to Justin behind the board, of course, my lovely co-host, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Uh, we'll be back here in this space on Thursday. The big boss man, Ezra Levant, he takes over tomorrow. And in the meantime, stay sane. <laughs>